Well, God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. And thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Now, would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Ha-Sefer Bereshit, Ha, the Sefer, book, Bereshit, beginnings, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And we're going to be in chapter 45 today. And we'll put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along, as you know. And, you know, today I'd like to talk to you about letting it go, letting it go. In Genesis 45, verse 1 through 28, that's kind of what it's talking about. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I'm trying to say. There's all kinds of people that we meet in life. Some of those people are just passing acquaintances and others become lifelong friends. There's people who have shown their lifelong friendship to us through the good times and through the bad. They're with you in the trials, through the thick and through the thin. But then there's also a few people all the time, it seems like, who fe you feel like they betrayed you. People who you once thought of as friends, but they somehow turned on you at some point along the way. They might have done something to hurt you. They might have lied to you. They might have stolen from you or some other thing that they've done against you. And maybe there's someone who you used to love and they loved you, but now they treat you like an enemy. There's all kinds of people that we come across in life. And it can take a long time for the memories of betrayals from some of those people to heal. And many times you might not want those memories to heal. You know what I mean? You might want to get even with them. In the back of your mind, you're always thinking about that coming opportunity that maybe someday in the future you'll have a chance to get even with those people. You can settle the score, as we say, and you can pay them back for what they've done to you. But here's the thing. When you let those thoughts of revenge fill your mind, they eat away at your own life. You can't think about the future because you're chained to the past. And you're letting that person that hurt you once keep on hurting you again and again as time goes by. Every time you drag that memory up out of that deep place in the back of your mind and you, and you start thinking about it again, you get angry again. You can't get going forward because you're always looking backward. While you're spending all that time thinking about how you're going to get even with them, what's happening? you're wasting your life. You're wasting your own life and you're letting your own future pass you by. Now, life is too short to spend all your days thinking about those depressing things that have happened to you. In the Bible, God says that vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What he's saying is it's not our place to get even and to take revenge. That belongs to him. That's what he's saying. You shouldn't be trying to get even with somebody. You should be using each day to get on with your life. Stop trying to get even and start trying to get on with your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God has wonderful plans for you in your life. Own up ahead. So throw away that rearview mirror. Put your eyes on that bright horizon that you've got on up ahead. 
and let's see what God is going to do. And remember this, that God can use the trials that you face to bring about blessings in your life. Trials can be used to bring about blessings and God can use adversity in your own life to take you to a place that you would have never gone to on your own, a place of blessing in that place. It may look like a dark place while you're there, but then at the end, you're going to see that God's going to bring you out the other side into a brighter future, into a better life. That's right. Romans 8, 28, as you know, says that even He takes His bad, the bad things that come your way and makes them work out for your good somehow. Those things that the enemy meant to harm you will be intercepted by God, and He'll turn them around and turn them into something that blesses you instead. God is for you, and when God is for you, no one can be against you. Everything will work out for the good because you're a child of God. So if God allows you to fall into trials, that means that He's got you there for a reason. He's planning a great blessing for your life somehow through that all, through that trial that you're going through. Now realizing that, why don't you just be patient in that trial and wait on the Lord? Remember that Isaiah 40 verse 31, I love this verse, says, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Give Him your battles. Spend your time drawing near to Him each day. Remember that God is all-powerful. And the Bible also says that He desires everybody to be saved and to come to Him to be restored. So He can even change the heart of that person or those people that hurt you so bad before. And that might even come to Him, and that might come to those people that He brings across your path, those people that hurt you, that might come to them, that salvation of His might come to them because of the love and forgiveness they see in your life. That's right. You might be the person that God sends into their lives to demonstrate His love to them. And that might be the thing that changes their heart and they come to Him and are saved because of the example they see in your life. You might be the one that God uses to change their heart. So be patient when you find yourself in that trial and that place and you don't know what's going on. Be patient, knowing that God has you there for a reason, and He's going to do great things for you and with you there. And He'll even use that trial that you're in to bless others and maybe even the same people that hurt you before. Now, that's the way it was with Joseph in our scripture today in Genesis chapter 45. Let's look at that together. It's a short chapter. I'm going to read it all to you real quick, and then we'll talk about what it means in the rest of this message. So in Genesis 45, let's start at verse 1. I'll read it. It says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all of those who stood by him. And he cried out. And he said, Make everyone go out from me. Make them leave. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known. Yes, it's finally happening. Made himself known to his brothers. Verse 2. And he cried aloud. He wept aloud in the Egyptians and the house of Paro. Remember, that's how we say Pharaoh, Beavrit in Hebrew. 
and Paro, the house of Paro, heard it. Verse 3, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers couldn't answer him because they were dismayed. They were, they were in his presence. They go, what? You're who? You're our brother that we sold into slavery? Oh, no, what are we going to do? And Joseph's asking about his father, and they can't answer him. They're shocked at what he says when he says, I'm your brother, because they didn't recognize him. Verse 4 then continues, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near to me. So they came near. And you can imagine they came near like, what's he, is he going to kill us now? Or what's he going to do? But then he said in verse 4, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now... Therefore, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, because God sent me here before you to save life, to preserve life. They're thinking he's going to take their life. And he says, God sent me here to preserve life. And he sent me here before you to save your lives. Verse 6 continues, For these two years the famine has been in the land. We know that there was going to be seven years of famine. And like Joseph says in verse 6 to his brothers, and there's still five more years in which there will neither be plowing or harvest. Why? There's nothing to plow. There's no seeds. You have to have crops to get seeds for the next year. They didn't have crops the last year. They didn't have crops before that. There's no seeds. If there's no seeds to plant, there's no harvest to be done, and there's no food because everything during that time was based on agriculture. You didn't buy TV dinners. You had to grow your food from the ground. There was no seeds. There was no crops. People were in danger of dying. Millions. Now it says in verse 7, Joseph continues talking to his brothers and he said, Now God sent me here before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Just real quick, what does he mean by posterity? God sent me here to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. It's not only to save your lives, but to, you're there, our family is there for a reason. And who would later come through the lineage of Jacob and the brothers there and even through the tribe of Judah? Judah being the one who wanted to sell Joseph into slavery. But through the tribe of Judah and his father, Yaakov, or Israel as his name was changed to, would come who? The Messiah, a Mashiach Yeshua, who would save all who sin, all who want to come to God, all who believe on Him as Lord and Messiah. All who believe on Him would be saved and given everlasting life most important person in the Bible. Most important person in the Bible, he says in, in verse 7, God, uh, Joseph is talking to his brothers. He said, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity, a lineage for you in the earth and to save your lives as well. You see, the posterity is not talking about their lives. The posterity is talking about the one who would come later due to prophecies that the Lord had said would come from Jacob, would come from the tribe of Judah. And God sent me here before you to preserve that posterity for you and in all the earth and also to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then in verse 8, he continues... And he's trying to make them to where they're not afraid of him anymore. He goes, so, 
So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's what he's trying to say to them. And God has made me a father to Paro, Pharaoh, the Lord over all of his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Then in verse 9, he says, now hurry up. Go back to my father and tell him, thus says your son Joseph. God made me Lord over all of Egypt. In other words, the, the master over all of Egypt. He says, come down to me. Do not wait. Don't tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, which was a very pleasant place in Egypt. Beautiful pastures and lands. It was the, the best place in Egypt. He says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children. You see, Jacob was a grandfather now. Jo Joseph's brothers all had families, wives, and children. And, jo and Joseph is saying, you come down to me, you'll dwell in the land of Goshen. In verse 10, he says, and you'll be near me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and everything that you have. Verse 11, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five more years of famine. Joseph knows this, you see. God's revealed this to him. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin will see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down. Joseph is talking to his brothers and say, you see, I know about these things. No one except Joseph would know about these things, and I'm, I'm telling you how you sold me into slavery. I've, I've already arranged you to sit at this table in this meal that we had in my palace and everything, and I arranged everything by the order of your birthrights, uh, who could know that except someone from your family? It really is me. So now go and tell my father. Tell him that you've seen me, my young brother Benjamin, who is here with you. You tell him that you've seen me, and you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. Tell him that I've got authority here to give out the food. I've got authority to put you in the best land in Egypt, Goshen, and hurry up and bring my father down here. Joseph probably knows that his father doesn't have a lot longer to live. He's getting to be a very old man. Verse 14 then, he says, Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Verse 15, Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept on them. And after that, his brothers talked to them. They finally are talking to him. Before, they're probably thinking like, he's going to pay us back for selling him into slavery. He's going to kill us. He's got the authority. There's army around him. They, he can command them and they'll chop off our heads. They'll kill us. You know, he could get even with us right now. So he talks to them. He reasons with them and says, it wasn't you. I know you thought you were doing something to me, but it was really God that brought me down here so we could save our family because now I'm the one over all the food and we have food and you don't have to perish and, and starvation because of this famine because God brought me to this position for this time. For such a time as this, God put me in this position so that now you and all your children 
and your wives and my father and all of our family can be saved. And not only that, but the millions who lived in Egypt would be saved. You see, God was interested in the lives of many, many people. And he put Joseph there for this moment in time. And so it says in verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Paro's house. Remember, they heard Joseph crying and weeping and talking, talking to his brothers. And, and they now go into Paro and they say, Joseph's brothers have come. And so it pleased Paro and his servants very well. Verse 17 says, and Paro said to Joseph, Joseph, and Joseph is how we say it, Bivrit in Hebrew. And Paro said to Joseph, now say to your brothers, do this. You load your animals and go and go to the land of Canaan and you bring your father, your households, all that you have. Come to me. I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt. Paro knows that it was Joseph. God sent Joseph to save the life of all of the people of Egypt. He's very thankful and appreciative to Joseph. He's very thankful and appreciative to God. And verse 19, just so Joseph doesn't misunderstand, Pharaoh says to him, now I'm commanding you, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, your wives, bring your father and come. Verse 20, don't be concerned about your goods. All those things that you think are your wealth, your riches and everything, don't even worry about them. All of the land of Egypt. Egypt was the most advanced nation in the world at that time. And Paro is saying to Joseph, everything in the land of Egypt is yours. Don't even worry about those things that you've collected through the years back in Canaan. Everything here is yours. It's yours for the taking. And so Paro is very appreciative. Then verse 21, he says, Then the sons of Israel did so. They took these carts. They left. Joseph gave them the carts according to the command of Paro, and he gave them provisions or food for the journey. He gave all of this to them, to each man, changes of garment. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver as well. This was his brother from the same mother, Rachel, how you would say Rachel in English. But Rachel had died giving birth to Benjamin, Benjamin. Remember his name, Benjamin, is how you would say it, Bevrit, or in Hebrew, his name means son of my right hand. And that's the name young Benjamin was given when he was born by his father, Yaakov. And now Joseph is so happy to be close to Benjamin again and to see his brother, his only brother from his mother who has passed away. Benjamin is there and he takes care of all the other brothers. But for Benjamin, he gives 300 pieces of silver too and five changes of clothes, five changes of garments. And in those days, you didn't have a closet full of clothes like you do today. You had a few things that you would wear, maybe two or three. And one would be dirty and clean while you're wearing the other one. Then you had one that you could fix. And so it was common to have maybe three changes of garments. And to the other guys, he knows it's going to be a long journey to go back and get his father and all of their families. And he gives them clothes and food for the journey. But for Benjamin, he gives him 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. I think the girls call them today outfits. Guys, just call them clothes. And verse 23, he goes on, he says, And he sent to his father these things. 
sent all of these things. He's trying to convince his father because his father thinks he's dead. And now he's going to be trying to convince his father that he really does have this authority in Egypt. So he sends all of these things. Look at what it says in verse 23. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. And so they sent his brothers away and they departed, it says in verse 24. And he said to them, See that you don't become troubled or worried along the way. I love that. They still might think that, oh, we better not come back. We, we got out of there, but he might kill us and try to get even with us for selling him into slavery. But he just keeps trying to reassure them. Look, it's really me. It was God who planned for me to be here for this time, so don't worry. And he gives them all these things and carts to send and and he sends them away and says, now one more thing I'd like to remind you of as you're going on this journey. Don't fear. Don't be troubled along the way. It really is me. It really is God who put me here. And I love you. I've missed you. You don't have to worry. All is forgiven. Just get my dad, get your families, and come back to where I can take care of you. That's what he's saying. Verse 25, then he continues, And they went up out of the land of Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob, Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. <laughs> they didn't know if he was alive before or not. They didn't know that he was killed before. They faked Joseph's death by bringing Joseph's coat. They had soaked it in other blood from an animal. And when Joseph's father, Jacob, had seen that, he said, well, that's my son's coat. and It's soaked in blood. So some wild animal has, has just ripped him up or something and killed him. And they let their father believe that. But now they're saying to their father after all these years, Joseph is still alive. And he is the governor, he's the prime minister, over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he didn't believe them. He didn't believe them. Here he was now for 13, 15 years or so thinking that his son Joseph was dead. His son of his beloved wife, Rachel. Rachel. And he, found, he finds out now that he's still alive. It says, and his heart stood still because he didn't believe them. He didn't know what to believe. Oh, it sounded like beautiful news. It sounded like such good news, but he didn't know whether to believe them or not. He didn't want to go through all of that letdown again, thinking that his son is still alive, only to find out that, no, he's still dead. But then look at what verse 27 says, But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts... All these rich, wealthy carts and provisions that Joseph had sent to him to carry him back. Then the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. It came back, came back to life. He had just resigned himself to just going through life sad until he died. But now... When he saw all of these things, he knew that something had happened. He knew that their story must be true because look at all these beautiful carts that somehow they had brought up from the land of Egypt. All of this food and all of these donkeys and all of this. And it says their spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Last verse now in this chapter. Then Israel 
that's what Jacob's name was changed to by God, then Israel said, it's enough. Now I believe. It's enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I'm going to go and see him before I die. Now, let's talk about these verses. Oh, there's so much here in this chapter. I know we've been talking about the story of Joseph for a long time now. And we've been going through these things a chapter at a time, most of the time, sometimes part of a chapter at a time for several weeks now. But this is the one where it all comes together. And I want you to see how it comes together. Because in this story about how it comes together, it lets you know what the heart of God is. What the heart of God is like, what God is like, and then it also lets you know that He, God, wants you to have a heart like His heart, a heart of mercy. Not a heart of revenge and getting even, but a heart of salvation and a heart of extending mercy. Now certainly by now you know about Joseph, how he got here. The story we've been building up for a few chapters now here in the Torah, the Bible. And in summary, it comes down to this. I'll just give you a summary and bring us quickly up to the present time. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers when he was about 17 years of age. Probably 13 to 15 years earlier now than this time in this chapter. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. His own father thought he was dead. Happened to him when he was only 17 years of age. Now at first, Joseph was traded as a slave from one slave owner to another slave owner. And just when that master that he had was seeing what great things God was doing through this young man, Joseph, the master's wife falsely accused Joseph of attacking her. Then Joseph was thrown into a prison pretty much forgotten about. But even in that prison, God didn't forget about him. God blessed Joseph at that time, and the keeper of the present was so impressed with how God was with Joseph that he put Joseph over all of the other prisoners. And then one day the chief butler and the chief baker of the king of Egypt, remember, they were thrown into prison for something that they had done wrong before the king of Egypt. And while they were there, one night they each had a dream. Each of them had a different dream in the same night. And they didn't know how to interpret it. They didn't know what it meant. They were worried. And at that time, people had to have interpretations for dreams because they, they felt like dreams were kind of like prophecies and telling them something important that they needed to know in life. But they didn't know what these dreams meant. And so they were worried. Joseph saw that they were sad and everything. And he asked him why. He said, because we had dreams and we don't know what they mean. And Joseph said, well, God knows what those dreams mean. Tell me what the dreams are. And then God gave Joseph wisdom about what each of those men's dreams meant. And God gave him the interpretation of the dreams. Then within three days, you may remember, the dreams came true, just as Joseph said they would. <clears throat> One of the prisoners was released and went back to work for the king of, uh, king of Egypt. Paro, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But the other prisoner was killed by the king, just like the dream had said in Joseph's interpretation for that dream. Uh, two years later, the king of Egypt himself had a dream. 
And none of the wise men that served the king, none of the wise men out of all the wise men in Egypt, none of the wise men in Egypt could tell the king what his dream meant. And just like it was important to the butler and the baker two years earlier about what their dreams meant, now the very king of Egypt, this man who is probably the, the, the head over the most powerful nation in all the world at that time, now he's worried because he's had a dream and doesn't know what it means. That's when the chief butler, who had been released from prison, remember, two years earlier, that's when the chief butler remembered about Joseph interpreting his dreams two years before. And so he told the king of Egypt about Joseph, and the king called for Joseph. The king told Joseph what the mysterious dreams were that he had. He had two dreams, but, and no one knew what they meant. And Joseph prayed again, and God again revealed to Joseph what the dreams were all about. So he said, God knows the dreams. Joseph prayed, God gave him the interpretation, and Joseph began to tell the king what the dreams meant. Joseph told the king that the dreams were saying that there were going to be seven good years in which crops would grow abundantly. But after those seven years, seven more years were going to come very quickly in which there would be no food and no crops. And that severe famine would be coming upon the land. It would be so severe that people wouldn't remember the seven good years at all because the seven bad years, there would be nothing to eat. People would be dying because there was no food in all of the land, in all of the region of the Middle East at that time. So Joseph told the king how he could save up a lot of food during the good years so that the people of Egypt would have something to eat during the bad years that would follow them. And the king was pleased that Joseph had told him the interpretation of the mysterious dreams, and the king liked the plan that Joseph suggested. The king noticed that God was blessing Joseph with this wisdom to know all of these things. And so the king made Joseph in charge over all of the food for the next 14 years, seven good years and the seven bad years. He said, you know, God is the one who's revealed this to you. There's no one wiser than you here. I, I know you came from the present two hours earlier, but now you are the guy that I'm going to put over the distribution of all the food to save up all of this food for the, in the good years for when the bad years come so that my people will not die from starvation. But it wasn't just his people, was it? The famine was over all of the Middle East, not only Egypt, but also the land of Canaan to the northeast of Egypt, you see. And Joseph's family lived there, including his father, Yaakov, Jacob, and his 11 other brothers and all of their families because they had wives and little children now too. All of them were in danger of starving in this famine. Now when they heard that there was food down in Egypt, 10 of the brothers were sent down by Jacob, their father, to buy some food for all of their families. And when they came into Egypt, remember, to buy food, Joseph was the one who was distributing the food. And Joseph recognized his brothers the ones who had sold him into slavery and told their father that he had probably died. But now the brothers did not recognize Joseph. Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And so Joseph tested their hearts in several things over a period of time to, to see if they had any regret for their past sins, and past sins of selling him into slavery. And as the brothers faced these trials that Joseph put before them, 
they spoke among themselves and admitted to each other that they, that they had sinned in selling their brother Joseph down into Egypt into slavery. And remember, in one of the chapters that we just studied over the last few weeks, and they were saying, this is why we're going through all of these problems, is because we sinned and sold our brother into slavery, and now God is paying us back for the evil that we did. That's what they were saying. But then in the chapter last week, we also saw that one of them, Judah, remember Judah? When they sold their brother Joseph into slavery, Judah was the one that suggested like, oh, let's not just kill him. Let's make some money out of this. We won't kill him by leaving him here in this pit or, or uh, killing him right here. We'll sell him into slavery and make some money out of this. And then that way he'll be gone. He won't be a problem to us anymore. He'll be a slave down in Egypt and we'll have some extra money to spend too. But in the chapter last week, we saw that Judah himself had had a complete change of heart. And he ordered... He offered to become a slave in order for Joseph's youngest brother, Benjamin, to be freed from prison in Egypt. Because before they knew that Joseph was the man selling the food, Benjamin had been taken and found to be the one that stole Joseph's cup. You see, he was set up. Someone framed him. You know, he didn't really steal the cup, but one of Joseph's servants had put the cup in Benjamin's bag so that when they left, they noticed that Joseph's cup was gone. And so they came and they checked the bags of food from each of the brothers as they were on their way back to Canaan. And they found Joseph's cup, his favorite cup, in Benjamin's sack. And so they brought him back. Benjamin was going to be kept there in Egypt. And that was Joseph's way of, of kind of playing this game with his brothers. He said, no, he's, uh, my, uh, Benjamin, this youngest one among you who stole my cup, I'm going to keep him here in Egypt. And then he says, the rest of you can go. You didn't do anything wrong. But then Judah came to him and said, look, I promised my father that I would take care of the youngest one. He's the only remaining son for his beloved wife, Rachel. We are from another mother, but we're all brothers together. But we're half brothers because Jacob is our father, but we had different mothers. Some of us had Leah as a mother. Some of us had uh, Leah's handmaid as a mother. Other had, uh, two of us had Rachel as a mother. And so he's saying, my father would die if he knew that his only other son from Rachel, his beloved wife, was now gone and he would never see them again. And so Judah rose to the occasion. He had the right heart. and He says, so take me instead. I'll spend the rest of my life here in Egypt as a slave to you. Just let my younger brother, Benjamin, let him return to our father so that my father does not die of heartbreak when he sees that Benjamin's gone. That touched Joseph's heart. That's when he revealed himself to be their brother, their long lost brother, Joseph. Joseph now knew that their brothers had acknowledged their sin in selling him into slavery. And he saw the sincere repentance and change of heart that his brother Judah had had. That told Joseph that God had softened his brother's hearts and that they now wanted to do the right thing. And so that was the moment when Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers. Now, I want to talk about what happened 
in this chapter that we just read. I brought you back up to, uh, up to uh, current status now with a little summary of how we got here in the life of Joseph. But look now, Joseph told them, and their natural reaction at first was unbelief. You're not Joseph, are you? And they didn't believe this guy was telling them that he was Joseph. They had been speaking in Hebrew to each other. Joseph was the ruler over Egypt. He was speaking in another language, and he, didn't, he pretended not to understand what they said in Hebrew, but he knew what they were saying in Hebrew. And so now they're seeing this guy who had spoken this other language all this time and was speaking to them through an interpreter, and now he's speaking to them in Hebrew himself. And he says, I'm Joseph. And they go, wait a minute. You're speaking another language. You're speaking Hebrew. You're speaking our language. And, oh, you're Joseph? Oh. And they look around at each other. This, this is our brother. We sold him into slavery. We can't run anywhere. We're, we're here in the land of Egypt, in his palace, in this area. The soldiers are around us. What are we going to do? Oh, no, we're going to lose our lives. But Joseph tries to dispel their fear. But look at their initial unbelief and fear. In the same way, when we come before God, at first we think that, oh, I'm, I'm going to appear before God and, and I, I, I've done the wrong things, I've sinned, I've done all of these things, and, and we're fearful of what God is going to do to us. But you don't understand the heart of God. That if you believe on the one whom He sent, He will forgive your sins. And then He tells you, don't worry anymore. Cast all your cares on me, he says, and I'll care for you. Confess your sins to me, he says, and I will forgive your sins. And I will not remember them anymore. I'll remove your sins as far away from me as east is from west. That's what he says in the Tanakh, you see. And so Joseph spends time trying to convince them that he is not trying to get revenge on them that he's just glad they're there. And that because of where he was in Egypt, because of what had happened in the trials that he had gone through, now all of their families, all of their wives, their children, the father, all of their family, extended family, would now be saved and not perish in starvation because of this severe famine. So he tries a great deal to get them to not worry in the same way God wants you to know that because you believe on His Son, Yeshua, as the Mashiach and Lord, that you don't have to fear anymore. You're now a child of God. That's the heart of God. Joseph wasn't looking for revenge. He was looking for mercy. That's how the heart of God is too. We see that Joseph was wise enough to see that God had a reason for bringing him down to Egypt. Not only would all of Egypt be saved from starvation because of Joseph being there, but all of Joseph's family would be saved and have food as well. Now, 
what if Joseph would have responded the way the world wants you to respond in this whole situation? The whole time he was in prison, he wouldn't be thinking of what he could do to help people there. He wouldn't be thinking of serving uh, his master Potiphar or after that, uh, the, the guy who ran the prison. He wouldn't be thinking of, of making the other prisoners, the butler and the baker, uh, uh, happy because they now knew what their dreams meant. He wouldn't be thinking of that. He'd be thinking the whole time, just stewing in his anger and saying, I can't wait. Someday I'll get out of this place and I'll go back and I'll see my brothers and I'll get revenge on those brothers of mine that sold me into slavery. He could have been thinking about that, but he didn't. He realized that God was there with him. And because God was with him, he knew that God knew about his situation. He knew that God knew that he was innocent and he knew that God would take care of him. And even as he was there in those prisons, God was giving him favor. And then the interpretation of the dreams. And now he's got the audience before Pharaoh. And God gave him that audience before Pharaoh to tell him what his dreams meant. And now Joseph is ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Joseph waited on the Lord. And God blessed that. So now that God took care of him and showed him mercy... Should he be concerned about revenge on his brothers? No, he would show his own brothers mercy as God had shown him mercy. If Joseph would have responded with revenge, none of this could have happened to save all of Egypt and to save all of Joseph's family, Jacob and his other 11 brothers and their wives and children. None of that would happen if Joseph had been consumed in anger and bitterness and not tried to comfort others, you see. You see, God knew what he was doing all this time. And through Joseph's temporary trials, millions of people, as well as all of Joseph's own family, would not die of starvation during this severe time of famine. Now, in the same way, when you find yourself in a severe trial, when you can't understand why God put you there, when you've done wrong or you were done wrong by someone and lied about by other people, when you find yourself in that kind of a situation, what would you do? Would you let your flesh take over? Would you start thinking about how you're going to get even with the people that did you wrong? Would you become just as mean as they were and lower yourself to their level? Would you see their trials as an opportunity to strike back at them? Or would you see their trials as an opportunity to show mercy to them, even when they hadn't shown mercy to you? Here's what I'm saying. The way of the world would say, pay them back. But God is saying, show them mercy because I'm merciful. God is saying, love others as I have loved you. Even though you are also a sinner, I've loved you. Freely you have received, now freely you give. You give that same love and forgiveness to others that I've shown you. That same kindness that I've shown to you, I want you to show to others now. You see this whole story of Joseph. For all these chapters in the Torah that have talked about him, they're more than just history. Yes, the history is important. It's very important in the Bible, the history. 
But there's also lessons and applications in these stories as well. And the story of Joseph that we've read about in all these chapters, this story reveals the heart of God. It reveals the heart of God to us so that we can let our hearts become like the heart of our Heavenly Father. So when someone treats you wrong, take the high road. Show them mercy instead of judgment. Freely you have received, freely give. Take that bitterness and that desire for revenge, throw it overboard. It's slowing you down. You can't move forward when you're anchored to the past. Let it go, leave it behind, and look up instead to your heavenly Father. He knows what He's doing, and His plans for you are beautiful. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. So take that bitterness, let it go, leave it behind, and start looking up. Amen. Now, why don't you give your life to the Lord today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry, and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness you're in, and He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person, throw all of those past failures and disappointments and sins away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. Now, we want to give you an opportunity to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord today to receive God's peace that we're talking about in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this. If you'd like to, you can just repeat it after me, but say to God, God, I do want to know you and have this real peace in my life. I need this peace in my life, God. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in that heart of yours. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God is making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.